Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 402 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday night. It is Selection Sunday, March 13th, 2022. We have just finished watching the NCAA Selection Show, as I am sure many of you have just done. So we are here to break down a little bit of that and a lot of Duke's uh, Duke's showing this week in the ACC tournament, which included two wins and one unfortunate loss in the championship game to Virginia Tech. I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein. I'm sorry that I haven't been here for the last couple episodes. I missed our big episode 400 with Kenny Denard, which was awesome. And I missed Jason getting to do his his solo reaction to All by myself. to his first game in, <laughs> in the ACC tournament. But we're all back now because it is Selection Sunday. We all have to be here for this. Jason Evans, of course, is here. You just heard him singing for some reason. Jason, good evening, sir. How you doing? Uh, doing pretty good. You know, one thing that I've really noticed, and, and I'd like to say that I am above it, but I am not, is how much a win or a loss just sends you either stratos- into the stratosphere or swooning. The number of Duke fans I've encountered or I've read about on, you know, on Twitter or on the DBR forums or whatever number of Duke fans today who are like, forget it. We're going to lose in the first round We we suck. We have no chance. It's just unbelievable. And I think back to, it was merely a week ago, like right before the Carolina game that I think I came on this podcast and I said, I've never felt more positive about this team's ability to win it all. And, and all of us, I think we're feeling that way. It, it's just the sways, the ups and downs, it's kind of crazy, man. We got a lot of emails, I feel like, over the last day, like more emails than we typically get about reactions to the game. And I think that that is fueled by people being you know, like overly upset and emotional about, about this ACC tournament loss. Duke's biggest loss of the season, it turns out, um, heading into the NCAA tournament, which I, I'm sure we're going to discuss now, is probably not the best indicator. Donald Wine is also here. He's been quiet so far. Donald, you are back home as I am. How are you? Uh, I'm actually not back home yet. I am in Omaha, Nebraska. I will be back tomorrow. Uh, but first off, happy Detroit Day to everybody out there. March 13th, 313, the area code of Detroit. Uh, you guys can't see it on the on the podcast, but uh, my friends here can see it. I'm wearing a Detroit hat to celebrate the occasion. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a weird day, right? It's Selection Sunday. It's one where we've had a lot of expectations. And at the same time as Duke fans, we've had to kind of deal with how we're going, how we're feeling entering this tournament. It's a lot different than what we were feeling maybe eight days ago. Normally, I think we would start, we would do all this in chronological order, typically when we lay out the, uh, the, the features on this show. Today, I think what we're going to do is start by talking about the NCAA tournament bracket just for Duke. We'll do another episode, um, I think tomorrow. We'll be able to, we're gonna, we're trying to put this out Sunday night. We'll have another episode Monday night where we break down, you know, the whole the whole bracket, sort of our thoughts about not just where Duke is seated, but where everybody else is seated. For tonight, I want to just focus on where Duke is because I want us to leave plenty of time to talk about the results of the ACC tournament. So why don't we start there? Duke is, as the bracket came out just just about an hour ago for Duke, Duke is the number two seed in the West region, which means that if they reach the Sweet 16, they'll be headed to San Francisco, home to a number of Duke fans. A lot of folks that I know, and I'm sure folks that you guys know too, who are Duke fans out on the West Coast, hopefully would be able to see the Blue Devils in person uh, at the Chase Center for the Sweet 16 and or the Elite Eight. But to get there, Duke has to first get through the number 15 seed, Cal State Fullerton, the champions in the Big West Conference. And Duke also has to make it through the winner of the 7-10 matchup between Davidson and Michigan State, two programs with which Duke has some history, which it would which will be interesting either way. Those games, as we predicted, will be in Greenville, South Carolina. So one of the things I'm sure we want to talk about is is the specific location selection for Duke between Greenville and and San Francisco and the implications of that. But Donald, I'll let you go first. As far as Duke's path to the final four goes, by the way, to, to get through the elite eight and the sweet 16 next weekend, potentially um, the other two uh, top teams in in the bracket, of course, Gonzaga number one and uh, Texas tech, the number three seed. So those would be the likely opponents for Duke. Should they reach the sweet 16 in the elite eight? Although certainly not guaranteed. There are a lot of other great teams who are in this bracket. So Donald uh, break this down for me first. What do you think about Duke's path to the final four, be it 
the geographies, be it the opponents, anything about this that sort of stands out to you? So me and a bunch of friends have been talking about where we could be placed uh, basically all day since, since the game ended last night. And it was anything from being a two in the East to a three in the West. Uh, and I was not going to be shocked or surprised at anything between that. So getting a two seed in the West uh, is great. It, 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 it sets us up actually kind of nicely. But I will say this, this is going to be a tournament where we're going to be tested by a lot of teams who are older and more physical. Two teams, two types of qualities and teams that we haven't really been doing well against so far this season. So it's going to be a, a, a tough path in that regard. Having said that, I do like kind of the matchups, right? Like Sparty is not that great this year. Obviously, they're physical and Tom Izzo can win any game that he he coaches in. Uh, so they will be a tough out. You know, Texas Tech is an old team that is very physical. They'll be a tough out. And then, of course, if we can get to the Elite Eight, it's a potential rematch against Gonzaga. Uh, I know I was at that game in, in November in Las Vegas, probably one of the best games this season in college basketball. So I'm sure the committee uh, like took a look at that when it when it came time to the storylines and setting that up. But I, I'm, I'm actually kind of, you know, I won't say I'm super excited about this bracket, but I'm not in the doldrums about it either. I'm kind of right in the middle. This is going to be a tough out, uh, a tough bracket, but it's a doable one because as we've experienced over the last week and a half and really all season, there are a lot of good teams in college basketball, but there are no great ones, in my opinion. Yeah, it's sort of interesting to me as I as I look at it that Duke's already beaten their number one seed in, the, in this region in Gonzaga. Of course, Gonzaga has a little bit of the geographic benefit of being in San Francisco on the West Coast. But as I said, it's not like Duke is, is uh, lacking in a fan base out specifically in that um, in that metro area, Jason, what else? What else are your reactions to um, to this bracket reveal? And maybe talk a little bit about exactly where Duke ended up as the number two seed in the West, sort of relative to a lot of other teams. Because as we're going to talk about with the ACC tournament, it's not like Duke put on the best showing in this last week of the season as the committee was was putting the brackets together. So I think that it it, it is easy to sort of fall into the trap of oh, Duke lost their last game, and so that knocks them down a peg. Oh, Duke lost to North Carolina a week ago. That knocks them down a peg. I, I was not surprised to see Duke get a two seed because the committee consistently tells us that they look at the totality of the season. They don't look at, you know, oh, how are you playing in the, you know, the week before the, the bracket came out? And, and I think over the totality of the season – it's pretty easy to see Duke as a two seed. I know there are people out there who think Duke should have been a three, but I, I'm, I'm frankly not surprised that we got a two. And, and the other thing to point out is there, there is not another team in the field. I'm going to repeat this. There's no one else in the field that has a pair of wins as good as Duke's wins over Gonzaga and Kentucky. And when you think about the fact that Duke has those two neutral court victories under their belt. I know it was a while ago. It's easy to sort of forget about that in the, in the fog of the ACC season that we went through. But when you think about those victories, you, th this is clearly a team that can beat anybody. And I think that the NCAA selection committee had finalized a lot of stuff with the top seeds prior to, you know, even the conclusion of the Duke Virginia tech game. I, I, I really, I really suspect that they sort of had Duke pegged as the number two fairly early on. And, and the fact that we lost to Virginia tech didn't change anything. It's sort of interesting to me regarding Virginia tech that they ended up as an 11 seed. They were basically like the worst automatic bid or, or, or rather um, the automatic bid who was like closest to being a, to being out of the tournament because they're an 11 seed. Most of the rest of the 11 seeds that get into the field are, those, those last four in, like those, those teams all end up as 11 seeds. So the committee had Virginia Tech pegged there, but the advanced metrics say that Virginia Tech's sort of a lot better than, than where oh, yeah. they ended up. The results uh, for Virginia Tech were not as good as the metrics were. So uh, I'm sure it was an interesting discussion, even if it was short with the committee about, you know, how to weigh this Virginia Tech loss because Duke really, I mean, they got worked. We'll, we'll talk about that after the break, but it was one loss at the end of the season. The other team that they lost to this week, UNC also made the field, 
obviously not like a one or a two or a three seed, but still a, still a respectable team. So to your point, Jason, it's not like Duke has all these, all these terrible losses littered all over the place. And uh, also to your point, Gonzaga and Kentucky are great wins for Duke. That's the number one overall seed. That's one of the best two seeds in the tournament. So it kind of makes sense that the Duke ended up there. Jason, anything else as we, as we look ahead, I know I said, we'll do a, a fuller bracket preview tomorrow for, for the rest of the field, but any thoughts on the matchups that Duke faces uh, either this week or potentially next? Yeah. So I, I I'm, I'm not going to go into next week. Uh, I, I think, you know, guessing about, Oh, will it be Texas tech? Will it be Alabama? You know, and, and then, Oh, we're going to, we're going to face Gonzaga for sure. You know, something like that. It's so far down the line. I want to focus on the mini tournament. That is the, the, the uh, hopefully two games that happen um, uh, in Greenville, South Carolina for Duke. And, and I, I actually think I kind of like the Michigan state Davidson uh, matchup for Duke. Uh, I, th- there are, there are worse seven tens that we could have Look, I look right across the bracket. Ohio State and Loyola is uh, of Chicago is a seven ten game. I want I would want no part of that game. I, I I'm not I'm not saying I'm that it's gonna be easy or anything like that. But Michigan State and Davidson, like in the advanced metrics, they don't they don't grade out that super high, and um you know they're both like around forty or so in the in the metrics. Like Michigan State, uh, if you look at the at Ken Pomeroy and the other folks, they're a little they're overseeded at a seven. Um uh and. I, I just feel like this has been a struggle for Duke lately, but I, I sort of like our path to get to the sweet 16. We're going to get into a lot more depth on it in just a little bit, but you know, my, my immediate takeaway is I'll take it that this, this is not uh, not a bad draw for Duke. Yeah. And if you look at the top four in that, in that bracket, right. Gonzaga, the number one overall seed, they get Duke, which is rated uh, according to the seedings that they had. They're the worst number two seed. Texas Tech was the worst number three seed. And uh, I believe it was, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on who's the fourth seed, but they're also one of the weaker ones. Arkansas, the Arkansas. weakest of the fourth seed. Yeah. So in that regard, yes, this bracket can open up quite quickly for Duke and it could be a, a favorable thing. But keep in mind this. Yes, the last eight days have not been great for Duke basketball, but we still were, have again, like Jason said, two of the best victories that anyone has in college basketball this year against Gonzaga and Kentucky. We also have a team that basically ran all but ran the table in the ACC was the flag bearer for the ACC. One of the best conferences in college basketball and we're the most generous team in college basketball because instead of getting four teams in the ACC got five because we decided to take a night off last night against Virginia tech, because as it stands, that 11th seed means that Virginia tech was not going to be in this tournament same as Texas A&M, who made their conference final, barely lost, and it was on the outside looking in. That would have been Virginia Tech's fate if they had not won last night. So good on Duke for being generous. The one really interesting thing about Duke's placement, as I said, we thought that Duke was going to end up in Greenville. There weren't a ton of other ones and two seeds that that seemed very likely to get that uh, that first round placement over Duke. It is interesting that there's another number two seed there, which is Auburn. Uh, I hadn't I hadn't quite considered that that the Tigers were were going to end up there, but as I look at the eight teams that are placed in Greenville, I don't see other ACC opponents that that bring uh, lots of fans to the games. No offense to Miami Donald, but North Carolina's not there. Virginia's there. Virginia Tech's not there. That being said, the one team that is there that Duke might play in the second round, who has the fan base and by the way has the campus right down the street is Davidson. Davidson is in Charlotte. Greenville, South Carolina is basically a suburb of Charlotte, if you are unfamiliar with the uh, with the geography there. So I would not be surprised if Davidson is the most represented program at this thing, even if they're just Davidson. Auburn's going to bring a lot of fans because they have a very passionate fan base, and it's not like Auburn's that far away, but relative to Duke's usual first weekend uh, in the tournament, being like near where the, where UNC is also placed. Um, you're going to, you're not going to have the Carolina fans there. You're not going to have the Virginia fans there. You're not going to have NC state fans there. None of those guys are going to show up. So um, that's sort of a little bit of a different wrinkle than what Duke is used to in its first weekend. Sam, I was very, very concerned when they were revealing the bracket because they went to the Midwest region and the two seed, everyone had basically pegged 
Kentucky to be there. And when I saw that the two seed in that bracket was getting Greenville, South Carolina, I for a second thought that they were going to put Kentucky there. I'm so glad they did not. And that it's Auburn, because like you said, a lot of those fans, save for Davison, are, I mean, they're not they're not going to travel in the numbers that Davison or Duke fans. And it's not like Auburn fans care about Duke basketball the way that Kentucky fans care about Duke basketball. Exactly. I, I will tell you one thing. Um, we got a little bit lucky to get Greenville because had Tennessee been ranked one spot higher, if Tennessee had been a two and we had been a three, or if Tennessee had been ranked ahead of Duke, wherever, you know, whatever line we were on, Tennessee would have gotten Greenville ahead of Duke. Um, just like Auburn got it, uh, you know, ahead of uh, Auburn essentially got Greenville first. But, uh, but, you know, my point I made earlier about the selection committee, I think decided things early. I think they decided Duke was on the two line. Tennessee was on the three line before Tennessee played the SEC championship game today, because really, I mean, I think if you, I think if you waited another day or two to do this field, probably are putting Tennessee on the two line. They were pretty darn impressive at that SEC tournament. And this is why the ACC moved their final to Saturday night. Once the big East gave up that time slot, because this was a position that we're always in with, when the selection show happened and they wanted to not be in that position ever again. So now they had a whole night to stew over where, where to put Duke. And they had like 20 minutes to put where Tennessee was going to fall. You know, considering we said we were going to do our NCAA tournament bracket show tomorrow, we're doing a terrible job of not doing it now. <laughs> Don't worry. We have, we have so much more to talk about then guys, let's take a quick break when we get back. We have to discuss the actual performance that Duke turned in this week at the ACC tournament, so stick around. We are back, and we have to discuss Duke's performance in the ACC tournament this week. Jason already came on to tell you a little bit about his reaction to the Syracuse game, which was Duke's first game in the tournament this week. That was a nine-point victory. They followed it up with a four-point victory against Miami on Friday, which uh, completes a a sweep of the entire ACC for the season for Duke, which is a a nice feather in their cap, even if you don't get a a banner or a trophy or anything like that. Um, In the ACC championship final, unfortunately, Duke loses to Virginia Tech going away. It was a 15-point loss during which um, Duke put in their their walk-ons for the last minute and a half or so. So it was it was not close down the stretch as, as Virginia Tech stretched out that lead. Guys, we need to do the headlines. We're going to do the good and the bad just from the week. We're not going to break down the individual games because I'm sure that, as, as they are for most Duke fans out there, the whole experience is sort of lumped together. Before we get to our headlines, though, want to read a couple from uh, the listeners that came in. Um, we got one from listener Christine who said, two storms – one storm outside and one storm inside for the uh, for the final against Virginia Tech, where Storm Murphy was such a key part of the game. Um, Christine also sent us a great photo of her and her daughters um, from uh, from a game this season. I believe, based on the the names in the emails, that one of her daughters also submitted a uh, submitted a headline to us. That was from listener Lauren, who says, "Looking lost in the storm." Also, a reference to Storm Murphy. Uh, the last names are the same, so I'm going to assume that Lauren is one of Christine's daughters. But if they're not, there are a lot of Duke fans out there with the last name Gilio because uh, because that that was the emails that we got from both Christine and Lauren. A couple other headlines that we got one from listener Ken too much hokey for Duke to swallow. Uh, that was, again, in reference to the ACC tournament final listener, Jonathan, who is always great uh, at providing headlines, sent us Duke can't survive as Hokies out hustle, out play and outwit the Devils. Finally, listener Tom sent us UKE missing the D in New York. That was in reference to Duke's defense, maybe not showing up in that and, final and game. And Sam, Sam, I have to jump in and mention Tom's headline was literally almost exactly mine. I, I was doing, I, my headline was going to be something about Duke missing the D and, uh, and Tom, Tom wrote it probably better than I did. Yeah. So I had, I'll, I'll share with mine as well because I had Duke's defense can't hang with Hokies in ACC final. So that was, and that was, I wrote that before I was sort of reviewing the emails tonight. Jason, uh, give me the exact headline that you had. Once I saw Tom's, I stopped because mine was literally going to be something uh, along the very same lines that, you know, uh, Duke can't spell victory without D or something like that. And Donald, what did you have? I I was on the same lines. Mine was Ooks. Defense, the story and shaky ACC tournament performance. The, the, the defense is what we're going to have to talk about in the bad. But guys, let's do the good first, because Duke still leaves this week 
with a two and one record. They still get that win against Miami, which is the one team in the ACC they hadn't beaten yet this week. And despite the the big loss to Virginia Tech, maybe some signs of further development for the Blue Devils. So, Donald, I'll let you go first. Give me a good from this ACC tournament performance from Duke. Since we're going to talk about so much on defense or on, on the bad, I'm going to talk about the good. And it's Mark Williams' defense, uh, particularly his rebounding. He had 16 rebounds against Syracuse. He had 10 against Miami. Uh, he was all over the place. Whenever they actually, a team actually tried to go after him, he blocked a lot of shots. I believe he had three against uh, both Syracuse and Miami. So I, I was really pr- impressed with his defensive performance on, on just, just in the week. And hint, it is because of the lack of defense, Mark Williams is someone that I'm looking at for player of the week. Jason, give me a good from, from this game I, or from this week. I know that we're going to spend a lot more time on the bad, but, but what are some good observations from you? So I thought Wendell Moore, um, especially in the first two games, but I thought Wendell Moore just in general looked a lot more like the player he was in December than the player he was in February. Um, I thought his games against Miami and Syracuse were absolutely spectacular. He was in complete control. He's hunting his shot a ton more than we've seen recently. And, and I'm here for Wendell Moore, a junior, an experienced player, a guy who, uh, you know, has more minutes on the court as a blue devil than anyone else on this team. I'm here for him taking more control as the season is, is moving along. And I want to just note, he had a sequence late in the second half against Miami where he had a really tough baseline jumper. He then a Miami raced the other way and he got back on defense and blocked the shot. And then at the other end, um, the ball came back to him and he scored a driving difficult layup in transition. It was stunning end to end excellence. It was a classic example of a guy who can make a difference on both ends of the floor. And I just thought Wendell Moore, it was a really good weekend for him. Even if he didn't have the greatest game against Virginia tech, I thought he was really effective. Then the other guy I wanted to mention really quickly was Jeremy Roach um, because uh, he's, he's turned into a tremendously effective offensive player for Duke lately um, over the past few weeks. He averaged over 12 points per game in the ACC tournament. I think if you told me, you know, two, three weeks ago, oh, uh, Jeremy Roach is going to average, you know, close to close to teens in the ACC tournament, I would have thought, oh, uh, so Wendell Moore and Trevor Keels both got injured, huh? I mean, for, for Jeremy Roach to be doing what he's doing off the bench is a really, really big deal. And uh, even though he's not like, the greatest free throw shooter. He's not like one of these point guards who hits 85%. When Jeremy Roach steps to the line with the game on the line, I feel very, very confident that he's going to hit the shot. He's had in, in recent weeks, some very clutch, important free throws. And I just love his poise. And I feel like this team needs to rely on its experienced players that, you know, in the ACC tournament, arguably the guys who played the best throughout the entire tournament were as, as Donald mentioned, Mark Williams, Wendell Moore and Jeremy Roach. And I, I think those guys are talented enough to really begin to carry Duke a bit, um, even though we also need the freshman chiming in. Jason, I love that you mentioned Jeremy Roach. That was the guy that I really wanted to highlight because I, I can't tell you how many times this season we've talked about him in the bad, where it feels like he's just a little bit behind the yep. rest of the, of the key rotation players at both ends of the court. Um, this is not just an offensive thing. There were defensive moments for Jeremy Roach this season where he's letting guys get by him. He's, he's getting caught on switches and it feels like he's not letting that happen so much anymore. Not to mention, as you said, on the offensive side where it feels like he's a lot more competent, even if he's not, you know, leading the team in points uh, in, in any NCAA tournament game this season, he can have a huge impact now and going into next season, he's going to be an essential part of, of the team, assuming that he's still around, which all signs point to him, him still being here. Yeah. And, and, you know, interesting, there was an interesting note. I think it was coming out of the Syracuse game, I believe, or maybe out of the uh, Miami game, I forget, but Duke had a stretch of six games where six different players led us in scoring. I mean, that is, that's amazing. That is the kind of balance. Uh, there's no other team in the country that can come close to that kind of balance. And, and Sam, if I can, there's one other good thing I wanted to mention, and I guess it should go in the good. Um, but, you know, you can argue and say it's a bad, but, but I, I feel like, it is worth mentioning and crediting our three opponents in the ACC tournament. I feel like all three of the teams we played, Syracuse and then Miami and then Virginia Tech, played among their best games of the year. I've seen enough of these teams playing that Duke was taking the best shot we could get from Syracuse, from Miami, from Virginia Tech. I mean, look, uh, Jimmy Beheim and Hunter Couture 
had career game, not just like, you know, oh, this is this is a good game. career games. The, neither one of those guys has ever had a game as good as they played against Duke this weekend. And Cameron McGusty of Miami had his highest scoring game of the year. You know, all these guys, they were hitting really, really difficult shots. And I know we're going to talk a bit about Duke's troubling defense. There, there's no way to get around the fact that that Duke's defense was not very good this weekend. And I'm going to have some analytics for folks that are that are eye-popping. <laughs> I'm just going to put it that way. But I, I think part of what was going on was we saw three opponents led by three very good players playing like an order of magnitude better than they usually do. And to some extent, there's not a lot your defense can do when Cameron McGusty's pulling up from 18 and 20 and, you know, with a, guy, a hand in his face and he's draining it. There's not a lot you can do when Jimmy Bayheim is hitting and Hunter Couture are hitting the shots they were hitting. Maybe, you know, sure, Duke's defense is troubling, but maybe it's not all Duke. So that's why I have this in the good. I think that unless we run into a team that is playing like a whole order of magnitude better than it's supposed to, maybe we're okay. I don't know. And Jason, we did that while really going through it as far as being sick. Half our team, it sounds like, had some sort of food poisoning or some sort of virus that spread through the team early in the week. They only practiced one time as a team before they went to Brooklyn for the incident for the ACC tournament. And it seemed like there's a lot of guys who were out there toughing it out with, with whatever sickness they were able to have. So hopefully they're all better, but I will give them credit for being tenacious and, and trying to fight through that to get to the ACC tournament final. Guys, let's transition and talk about the bad a little bit. And to, to start us off, cause I know that, a couple of the themes have have sort of already come up a lot in the headlines and the discussion leading into this. I'm actually going to let listener Regina start us off. She uh, she emails us a good amount, so we appreciate that. And she had a, a great email to us late last night. So I'm I'm just going to read a little bit from there, and then we can um, we can jump off of uh, off of her uh, conversation starter here. So she said, "Hi guys, please try to explain why this team is losing its mojo. Why is our defense worsening in March?" As Twitter is asking, where is the floor slapping? How do you see the pros and cons of Duke switching one to five? Additionally, there was a lot of talk in 2017 about leadership and how difficult it was for Emil Jefferson to lead from the front court. In 2021, we didn't have a captain. While we see this year's team gather for huddles, I don't always see Wendell quote unquote leading huddles. We heard about him being the voice of leadership in timeouts against Gonzaga, but we're not hearing about his and Joey's leadership now. I'm not blaming Wendell, but this is a team that seems to be in need of leadership in key moments. I wish there this was a year in which Coach K would have been able to name a third captain after the season started, because that would have indicated that another player was stepping up a la Justin Robinson in 2019. A Duke grad once said to me that Duke always starts out strong in the early season because Coach K prepares the team so well in the offseason. And then as the season goes on, other teams catch up. This year, there's been a lot of other teams catching up. Where is the floor slapping? Hope you wake up less sad on Sunday than you were on Saturday night. Go Duke Regina. So I, I thought that that just encapsulated the whole feeling from Saturday night so well. Jason, let me send it to you first. React to any of, of Regina's uh, points that she made there about the defense, the intensity, and the leadership from this Duke team this week. So um, I know Donald wants to talk a little about the leadership and, and I'll get in on that after he talks about it. But so I'm going to start with the defense because she's absolutely right. Duke's defense was very, very troubling in this game. And, and her main question, where's the floor slapping? I don't really have a great answer to that. Um, the floor slapping, it feels like Duke has really gone away from in recent years, um, recent years, hell, in the past decade. It just doesn't feel like you see Duke slap the floor all that much anymore. I've heard varying reasons for it. I've heard some people say that that um, Coach K sort of wants the team to always be playing defense, not only focused on those possessions where they slap the floor. I've also heard people say that when Duke slaps the floor, it's almost a challenge to the opposing team. And so the opposing team perhaps, you know, ratchets up their attention a little bit. Um, but the bottom line is you just don't see, uh, look, if you were if you were someone who graduated from Duke in the past five years, Floor slapping like isn't part of your parlance. It's not something that you're really familiar with the way it was big time in the 90s and to a lesser extent in, in the early 2000s. It was huge in the 90s, let me tell you. So let me get to the defense and I want to get to some analytics. After Duke's blowout wins over Syracuse and Pitt, 
just 10 days ago. I mean, <laughs> it feels like a lifetime, but it was like, you know, less than two weeks ago that Duke was beating the, the doors off of Syracuse and Pittsburgh. Duke had risen up to number five in Ken Palm. Duke is currently number 12. And that's seven to drop seven spots over the course of four games is a pretty precipitous drop. And a lot of it is pegged to our defense. At one point this year, I don't know the exact date, but at one point Duke's defense was as high as 12th in the nation. We are currently number 44 in Ken Pomeroy's defensive rankings. And Bart Torvik, I've talked about this a lot. Bart Torvik allows you to sort by date. If you sort Duke from the Carolina game to the end of the ACC tournament, a bad stretch. But if you sort based on those dates, Bart Torvik says that Duke is 205th in the country on defense. Wow. I mean, 205th. And by the way, that's not good enough to win a national championship. No. And by the way, win anything. Don't, don't fool yourself. That's not 205th out of 358 teams. You know, usually there are 350 plus teams in the country. Torvik only has 289 teams in his rankings because some teams conference tournaments were already over by the time Duke played. Uh, there have only been 289 teams to play since Duke played Carolina. So we're 205th out of 289. I mean, that's awful. That is terrible defense. That is not tournament quality defense. And in fact, Torvik says over those four games, Duke is the 80th best team in the country, not even a bubble team, not even close to a bubble team. It is uh, our defense has fallen off a cliff. These guys are not communicating. I mean, like, look, you saw Coach K. Coach K called a timeout 30 seconds into the second half against Virginia Tech, and he was yelling at those guys, and he was yelling about defense. They are not communicating well enough. And Coach K said in the post game, since the Carolina game, just because of the vagaries of travel and the ACC tournament and all kinds of other stuff, Duke has had one practice, one practice in eight days. Coach K is looking forward to having several practices before we head out to, to, to Greenville for the start of the NCAA tournament on Friday because he wants, and I guarantee those practices are going to be nothing but defense. I, I was struck as well, Jason, by, by the Ken Palm rating because that was one of the things that we like to predict in the In, in the, the preseason, yeah. You have yeah, us guessing. Is, what, what, do, you, do you recall, what were our guesses? I'm, I'm going to pull them up now. Donald, you're going to jump in for a second while I, uh, while I pull up the, uh, the stats game predictions. I know ain't none yeah, of us eight. around 44. No, no, no one was below like 15 or 20. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, but for me, I, I think, you know, with the defense, it, it failed us in this tournament. And whether it's because, again, some of those guys were sick or, or what have you, but there has been a precipitous change in our defense and our defensive efficiency and just how we play defense in the last 12 days. It's, I mean, again, like you said, since, since the month turned to March, we're 202nd overall, and since the UNC game, we're 205th in adjusted defensive efficiency. That's not going to get it done. It, it just doesn't. But that leads me to the other part of what Regina was talking about, and that is the leadership. The leadership has been lacking because and this goes to a higher debate, and, and we could talk about this for another hour. The debate last night was not necessarily around this game. It was about the one-and-done strategy and why – Duke always recruits these players who are going to leave after a year. And there's a lot of people who think that we should be done with that strategy. I am here to tell those people to, to pump brakes for, for like 15 seconds and, and think about this, but the leadership aspect of things is what's missing. We have two captains. We did not hear from those two captains last night. We didn't hear about what they are doing to get this team ready. It does not matter how we could have 11 freshmen, but if someone's the captain, they need to step up and they need to say, hey, this is the ACC tournament. This is how teams are going to play us. We are going to get our best shot. And it's going to be three days and you know, three games and three nights. If we want to win this ACC championship, here's what we need to do to win it. And we have to have guys that are going to be able to do that because in the NCAA tournament, this is it. After this, if we can't lose no more, we're done. And if guys cannot get players and say, hey, look. This is how we need to play. This is how teams are going to come after us. We are the two seed in the West. And it does not matter because we are Duke. So whenever that happens, we are the we, we might as well be the number one overall seed because we have Duke across our chest. And they need to understand that leadership is what carries people in national championships, not defense, not offense, not one and dones. It's leadership. 
because in some of these tight moments, it takes a real leader to step up and say, we need to do better. We need to be better and to will these guys across the finish line. That's what I'm looking for this next week. Regina said that she doesn't want to blame Wendell more directly. I'll, I'll take a slightly more direct approach to this, which is that a lot of the value that Wendell Moore has demonstrated this year and a lot of the growth that he's shown and, and some of, I assume, the reason that he's pegged as a first-round pick is that he has that it factor, that he has demonstrated that at times this season. I am sure that NBA scouts are, are watching these tournament games for Duke and wondering, does Wendell Moore still have it going down the stretch? Because I, I believe that more than anyone else on this team, maybe Paulo Bancaro, but, but I think more than anyone else, Wendell Moore's draft position is, is somewhat correlated with how far Duke goes in this tournament because he can put the team on his back at both ends of the court. Um, I don't know that he's demonstrated that as much as, as he would like in the last few weeks, but he has a huge opportunity here down the stretch. Look back at, at Grayson Allen's freshman season. He did not play much during the regular season. And at the end of the season, after he demonstrated his, his talent and his, um, you know, his timeliness in that final four and in that national championship. You remember how close Grayson Allen was to leaving school after his freshman season? That is the kind of impact that Wendell Moore can have as a junior here. Uh, I, I think about, you know, it's not exactly the same because he played so well throughout that season, but Nolan Smith as a junior demonstrated the same things. He made that huge leap and he almost left after his junior year to go to the NBA. Before I throw it back to Jason uh, to comment on this leadership a bit, guys, I need to come back in the conversation because I pulled up the uh, the stats game numbers. I was the most pessimistic about Duke at, as far as its defensive ranking at the selection show. I had them at 16. So just to, I, I, I won the category. I had him at like um, five, didn't I? I had him really high. Uh, I, Jason had, had him at 12. Eight. Yeah, Jason had him at eight. Donald had 14. So um, yeah, it was, uh, it was tough. Um, <laughs> Duke did not, did not live up to even our, our modest expectations of them on defense. Jason, I want to come to you to, to, to comment a bit more about the leadership situation on this team. All right. So really quick, by the way, on, on leadership, Last year, Duke didn't have any captains. I don't think leaders are created. I think that they, that a really great leader, it's innate inside you. I mean, look, we, we heard about Trey Jones being a leader, and Tyus Jones, for that matter, being leaders as freshmen from day one. And I think the fact that Wendell Moore was never named a captain last season sort of says to me that leadership is something that, you know, he's, he's tried and coach K probably has tried to, to get him to do it, but it's not something that comes to him innately. And, and so I, I'm not sure that Duke's ever going to find a really true great leader this season. Maybe I hope so. And then the other thing I want to talk about related to leadership is experience. Um, of, of the Duke regulars, excluding Theo John, um, who, who doesn't play a lot. I mean, look, we saw Theo John playing. He averaged like six minutes a game in the ACC tournament. Theo John is, is not someone who can lead on the floor because he's not on the floor enough. So Wendell Moore is, is Duke's most experienced player on the floor for the vast, vast, vast majority of the game. Wendell Moore is 20 and a half years old. He's young for a junior. Um, in fact, he's, he's only a couple months older than Jeremy Roach. Uh, Duke was playing men, older guys in all these games this week, Virginia tech, every single starter for Virginia tech, every single starter was older than Wendell Moore, Duke's oldest, Wendell Moore's Duke's oldest starter. He was the sixth oldest starter in this game. All five of the Virginia tech guys were older. In fact, Justin Mutz is 23. Um, Storm Murphy's 23. Kevy Aluma is 23. The, these guys, like Storm Murphy, he arrived in college the same year as Jason Tatum. I mean, think on that for a moment. Uh, Cameron McGusty of Miami, who had a huge game against Duke, was also a freshman the same year as Jason Tatum. Cameron McGusty is 24. Um, and this is not to make an excuse. This is to, for people to understand the reality which is that in the NCAA tournament, Duke is going to be facing nothing but teams that are older 
the the advent of the extra the fifth year the COVID year has changed the dynamic of college basketball this season and made it extra hard for freshmen and less experienced players because they're not just playing against fourth year seniors you're playing against fifth year seniors in some cases guys who are in their sixth year of college ball because they transferred or whatever they took a red shirt year and uh, again no more room for excuses but one reason that duke is struggling in the leadership department is all these other teams have way 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 more experienced players than we do so on the leadership thing when i said my comments keep in mind that they were not directed at just one person because as you mentioned, Jason, you could walk onto campus as a freshman in your first game, have that leadership quality or, or, or step up and make that, you know, make that part of what you what you want to do at a university. I'm calling out everybody because on a team, you can have a team of 13 players, you can have 13 leaders, but we don't have any that are stepping up right now. Theo John can be a leader. Mark Williams can be a leader. Jeremy Roach can be a leader. Paulo Bancaro can be a leader. Like these guys don't have to be old or experienced to have those leadership qualities and to bring them out at the right times. That's what we're missing. And that is why a lot of people are saying, oh, but I think, again, the focus shifts not from the leadership aspect, but to the one and done aspect. And I know we can talk about that for, for years and years, but the, the real thing is this. Freshmen don't win national championships. Sophomores don't win national championships. Juniors and seniors do not win national championships. Teams with great leadership win national championships. You can throw everything else out the window. If you have a team that can lead and have leaders come from wherever amongst the ranks and everyone knows their job and position, you can have a balanced team and have a leader carry them all the way to the national championship. That's what I want to see Duke develop in the next five days. And we've seen Duke display all of that at at times this season. Wendell Moore has been that guy. Paulo Bencaro has been that guy. AJ Griffin has been that guy. A lot of these guys have demonstrated their ability to, to take over, to motivate other guys on the team. So I don't think that the, the pieces are missing. Duke still definitely can win a national championship, but if they're, if they're playing sort of disjointed the way that they were this week, particularly against Virginia tech, it's going to be a very uphill struggle. So one, one key thing to watch, I, I know we're vacillating back and forth between leadership and defense and such, but I, I want to go back to defense really quick. One more key thing to watch for me on defense is Duke's defense against three-pointers. Guys, remember earlier in the year, and it wasn't that long ago, Duke was among the best. They were like top three or top five in the country at defensive three-point field goal percentage. Like in, at one point in, in ACC games, opponents were hitting like, 27 or 28 percent of their threes against Duke a phenomenally low number we've now gone through four games in a row of teams just destroying us from three-point range I mean you know like teams are routinely hitting right around 50 percent of their threes against Duke in fact Duke has Duke has gone from like I said top five in defensive three uh, three-point field goal percentage we're currently 64th in that I don't even want to think about how bad it's been over the past four games but but this team has shown that they can play great three-point field goal defense. This team has shown they can be a really good defensive team. And I'm, I'm not prepared to, you know, I said this earlier, it's so easy to overreact and, and to like give up on things and the such like that. There, there's no question in my mind that this Duke team could find its way back to being a really great defensive team like they were just a couple of weeks ago. And if they do, watch out. They're coming for everybody. And, and for me, just one more thing that I think we can improve on. We've kind of gone back and forth on it this year, just being inconsistent. Against Syracuse, I thought we were great at moving the ball. We had 24 assists on 32 made baskets. But against Miami and then against Virginia Tech, we only had nine assists in each game. The ball movement slowed down a little bit, became a little bit stagnant. And I think that is, again, something that we've seen the, the, the tangible benefits of moving the ball around and what happens and how successful we can be when we do that well. So I'm looking for that to change and improve in the first couple of games of the tournament. You know, if you're someone who listens to this podcast a lot, you know that each one of us have sort of favorite stats, favorite things we look at. Donald loves to look at that assist to field goal ratio, and it's a really important one for him. Everybody knows my favorite thing is field goal attempts. Gentlemen, did you see how badly Duke got crushed on field goal attempts against Virginia Tech? 64 yep. to 49. 64 to 49 Virginia tech outshot us by 15 field goal attempts and it wasn't turnovers. It was rebounding. Virginia tech killed us on rebounding. They, 
They got every loose ball. They rebounded as a team. That to me was the most disheartening thing about the game. Look, yeah, Hunter Couture, you know, switched jersey was with Steph Curry for a game and and suddenly was hitting everything, you know, that he could possibly shoot. And at the same time, you know, like AJ Griffin, who's been an incredible three-point shooter, couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. That's going to happen. But the thing that was most disheartening about this game against Virginia Tech was they were hustling. They were working hard. They were getting rebounds. They were getting loose balls. And by the way, and all those things translate into field goal attempts. And it wasn't just the Virginia Tech game. Miami outshot us by eight field goal attempts, 66 to 58. Syracuse, it was even 66, I'm sorry, 67 to 67. This Duke team is used to shooting more field goals than our opponents. And the ACC tournament, we got crushed by more than, we were outshot by more than 25 field goal attempts. It is a real, real problem for Duke. And that's something we got to fix. All right, guys, we need to wrap with player of the week. Unfortunately, it's a week that ends with a Duke loss, but we still have to award a player of the week nonetheless. So Jason, I will let you go first. Who is your player of the week for Duke's performance in the ACC tournament? I may have um, uh, given things away a little bit when you asked me about the good. And the very first guy I mentioned was Wendell Moore. Wendell averaged more than 18 points per game. He was blocking shot. He had block shots in every one of these games. In fact, I think he had seven total block shots in the tournament. Um, he had a couple games where he was dishing tons of assists and he's always, as we know, playing great defense uh, and getting rebounds and, you know, doing a little bit of everything. I know we bagged on him a bit <laughs> in the leadership department. Um, but uh, I, I, I just thought overall, if you look at all three games, my player of the week was Wendell Moore. Donald, who you got? Uh, I said it earlier in the, in the show, and I'm going to say it again. Mark Williams is the reason why he's the defensive player of the year in the ACC. I thought he showed that uh, quite well, especially on the rebounding. Uh, he, Jason mentioned the rebounding against Virginia Tech, and he didn't do well against that. But in a week where no one really did well in all three games, I go back to the fact that defense was what cost us, and he was probably our best defensive player on the week. Yeah, I don't think we actually got to spend too much time on the various All-ACC accolades that Duke racked up this week. I had issued the the caveat earlier in the week when I edited the uh, the show we did last weekend that the um, that the ACC Player of the Year awards and, and first team All ACC et cetera had come out like right after we had finished recording the other day, so we didn't get to react to it in real time. But on that topic, I am giving my Player of the Week this week to Paulo Bancaro, who was the ACC's Freshman of the Year. Um, I, he didn't have a great game against Virginia Tech, but Let's be real. Who did against Miami, though, uh, an extremely efficient eight for 10 from the field for 18 points, also pulled down 11 rebounds. He was one of the keys to Duke's victory against Miami. And and one of the things that we've noted about Paulo all season is that we know that he's talented on the offensive end. We know that he's able to take shots that most guys aren't, but it does lead to some lower efficiency shooting from him. A lot of that was kind of cleaned up this week during the ACC tournament. His game against Syracuse was actually his least efficient from the field, but overall um, the shooting has gotten a lot more efficient for Paulo. I like that development. I want to see more of, you know, Paulo Bancaro taking 10 or 12 shots a game. I think that that is key for Duke. He's Duke's best scorer and he gets my player of the week. You know, so Sam, even though I didn't, I looked at Paulo and I almost picked him. I, I will say this. And, and it's going to feel like a contradiction. I talked about, I've talked so much about the experience guys and how important that is and the such. I think that to some extent, it's pretty likely that Duke goes as far in this tournament as Paulo can carry them. Um, boy, I, I think if you listen to me, you'd be like, what the hell? Jason's schizophrenic. <laughs> but uh, but uh, the guy who can elevate his game and carry this team is probably more than anybody else, Paulo Bencaro. And he showed signs of it in this ACC tournament. There are certainly some moments where he looked like, you know, someone that was unguardable. Coach K is going to be pushing all of the leadership buttons this week, particularly with Paulo and Wendell, I think. Donald, let's get the last word from you, and then we'll get out of here. Look, this is where the cream rises to the top. This is where the stars become mega stars. And this is ripe for someone like Paul Bencaro to just go out and say, hey, by the way, you might have forgot about me. You might have, you said I've been down all season back baby here i am so paulo go and get it baby like this is this is the time to do it so uh, i'm really looking forward to seeing what all these guys can do it's it's a brand new season it's the most important season it's march madness let's do it 
Donald, I love it. Duke is now zero and zero on the year on, on this March Madness tournament. They open on Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Thursday, Friday. I actually don't remember. Friday, 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 Sam. <laughs> I'm, I'm like too overwhelmed. Duke opens Friday against Cal State Fullerton. Um, we will be back, as we said, very soon with a, a longer preview of, of the whole NCAA tournament bracket. Obviously, send us your thoughts on the thing. We will also be um, resetting up the, if it hasn't been been posted already, the DBR bracket challenge as, as uh, we've been sort of uh, co-hosts of in years past. Um, I haven't run it by these other two guys, but maybe I'll just ask you live. Guys, are we, are we renewing our, our tradition that the winner of the DBR bracket challenge gets to come on the podcast? Sure, why not? Like, like being on the podcast is that big a deal? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Let's do it. All right, great. So if you win the DBR bracket challenge, uh, head on over to the forums to get all the details about that. But if you win the DBR bracket challenge, we will find a way to uh, get you on the show sometime this spring or summer. You'll get to, to talk about how, how great your time watching Coach K was. So hopefully that's, a, that's incentive enough for you to join that event. That'll be up there. We'll talk all about the tournament. We'll talk about Duke's potential path to the final four. We'll talk about everybody's potential path to the final four, but uh, it is, it is a great, exciting week for sports. Hopefully folks can, can unplug a little bit and watch a lot of basketball. We will get out of here on that for Jason Evans and for Donald wine. I am Sam Klein. Stay in touch with us. DBR podcast at gmail.com. We will talk to you again very soon. This has been episode 402 of the Duke basketball report podcast, Duke band. Take us home. A troubling Duke's defense was, but part of it was. Hey, Jason, Jason, yeah. can, can you go back? Um, I accidentally stopped the recording. Um, can you go back and just, I know I, I like, I, I, I clicked on I the, had the energy thing. moving, man. I know. Um, <laughs> um, just go back and, and start to where you were talking about um, the Miami player who had the, had his, his highlight of the season. C- Cameron yeah. Magusti. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Just start there. Okay. You, you sure you got everything else? It, it's, it's back <laughs> on now. Okay, good. The problem, the problem is that, is that zoom, when you click the, when you click one of the buttons, it like moves all the other ones. So I tried to click the chat button twice and I had my mouse in the same place, but the chat button had moved and the recording button was in my way. So anyway, that is unfortunate. Okay.